0: Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy.
1: We're going to talk about discipleship today. Over the last four weeks, we've been doing a little series kind of thinking about where we want to go and who we want to be as a church this year. We've been saying we want to be people who know Jesus more and who make Jesus more known. So we looked at things like enjoying life and making the most of the world that God has given to us. We talked about eating with other people and making the most of those opportunities to share the gospel with people as we share fellowship, as we share friendship over food together. We were thinking last week about kindness. What I want to do this week is just try and sum all of that up and ask this question. What what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, let me give you a story to begin with. And then after the story, I'm going to unpack, we're going to read scripture and, um, and unpack what it means. And I want you to think back across this story and see if you can find some of the elements. See if you can find some of the elements of discipleship, of being a disciple, of following Jesus that we hear in the story. So let me tell you a story about a man called Derek. He was a student, which is an appropriate story for today. He was called Derek Matungu from um, Zambia in Africa. He traveled all the way to Bath and and studied there. And then he went up to Bangor in North Wales and did a, a postgraduate study there. He wasn't a Christian when he came. But while he was at Bath, um, he he met a few Christians in the university. They introduced him to his church, and he got together with some of the families there. They had him over for dinner, um, looked after him, took him around the city, showed him the sights, uh, enjoyed life together with him. And gradually, he came to know Jesus for himself. They introduced him to Jesus. Derek Matungu became a Christian in Bath. Eventually, he finished his studies and he went back home to Zambia. This was in about the 1970s, so there was a man in Zambia called um, Kenneth Kaunda. He was a dictator, not a very nice man. But Derek um, went to university there, I think started teaching at a university, and started up the first Christian unions that Meg was talking about, the first Christian groups in the universities there. And the gospel caught like wildfire. After a while, a huge percentage of of, of the students in Zambia were Christians, had turned to the Lord Jesus, so many that the university authorities didn't really know what to do. It was kind of turning the world upside down. And so one day, Derek Matunga, who was the, the guy in charge of all of the student work, all of the kind of UCCF in Zambia, he was called to visit not just the university authorities, but to visit the president, Kenneth Coanda himself. He was called into his office and, and the president said, look, tell me. Mr. Mutungu, what is this message that's been turning the universities upside down? Tell me it. And so he did. He started telling him about the God in heaven who made everything, who made you, Mr. President, who made me, who made you and I here this morning, and how we as humanity, as people, we've turned away from that God. We've betrayed him. And we now live in a kind of self inflicted darkness, spiritual darkness where we don't know God and we don't really want to know him. But God has stepped into that darkness. He sent his only son, Jesus, to step into that darkness and take all of that sin, all of that betrayal, on his own shoulders. He would carry it for us. He would drink it down. He would get rid of all of that darkness by dying on a cross. That was the the cost that this God, who we've turned away from, who we pushed away, has paid for us. He loved us that much. That he gave his only son. So whoever trusts him, whoever believes in him, wouldn't have to die in darkness, but would know God, would have eternal life, would be like people are supposed to be, knowing God and living with him. Derek told the president that story, and by the end of it, the president was in tears. And he said, You have to come back next week. Bring some friends. I want you to come back next week. And so he did. Next week, he came back, went into the president's office, and this time it wasn't just the president. It was him and all of the rest of the cabinet. That's all of the ministers and other important people in the whole kingdom of Zambia. They were there in the president's office and Derek and a couple of the student leaders told them the gospel, told them the good news about Jesus that had turned the university, that really has turned the world upside down. Derek was a disciple of Jesus. Derek was somebody who followed Jesus. And what did he do? He helped other people to follow Jesus as well. Do you see the chain there? Those people in Bath. I don't know who they were. Those students up in Bangor who loved and shared their lives and cared for Derek, and he came to know Jesus. And then he took that home and shared the same good news and shared his life with the students, and they came to know Jesus. And eventually, he was able to even talk to the president. It's a pretty cool story of somebody who is a disciple helping other people to be disciples as well. So what is a disciple? What's a follower of Jesus? Well, somebody who helps other people follow Jesus too. That's basically what we have this morning. But there's something that we really need to know before we get onto what does it mean for us to be disciples, is this. Who is the one that we're following? Who is this Jesus? So I want to read you uh, just a few verses on from where Sammy read at the opening of the service today. I want to read you from Matthew chapter 28, right at the end. So if you've got that, maybe you could flick back to it. If you've got one of these Bibles, it's page 753, but Matthew chapter 28, about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. And we're going to look at verse 16. These are the last words in Matthew's gospel. Matthew was one of the disciples. And so he was here and tells us what he saw that day. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Do you remember? Jesus told the women, go and tell my brothers, tell the disciples that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. So they go back home, back to Galilee, and they go up to a mountain where Jesus had told them exactly where where to go. To the very end of the age. Let me read it again. There's lots packed into there, so it's a short reading. Let me read it again and we'll really try and get it stuck in our memories. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So who is Jesus? He's really the one you need to know about first. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, we kind of need to know who Jesus is before we start working out how we follow him. So this is Jesus. Three things about him. Jesus, first of all, is alive. Maybe that's pretty obvious, but that's the story Sammy read to us earlier on, because it shouldn't be obvious. It shouldn't be something that that we're reading, because just a few chapters before, Jesus has been killed. Jesus has died on the cross. I mean, really was dead. They stabbed him with a spear in his side, and it punctured, went straight into his heart. Blood and water came out, and that's, that only happens when people really die. Jesus was dead, dead as a dingbat, as they say in Roald Dahl books. Jesus really was dead, and now three days Later, well, he's alive. And then who, who, who knows how many days later, here he is up in Galilee meeting with people face to face in his body. They could see him and they could hear him. You can read other stories about Jesus sitting down and eating breakfast with people, Jesus embracing people. We heard the, the women grabbing his feet and, and being so thankful that he was alive. Well, Jesus really was alive. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't some kind of um, experience that they were having because they were really sad or, or upset or something. No, Jesus really was alive, and he still is today. That's what you need to know about Jesus, that he's alive. He's not dead. He was dead, and he died for us to take away our sins, but now he's alive. Jesus is alive, and so you can come to him today and know him and walk with him and have a relationship with him and not just follow his philosophies or follow his teaching. That's not what it is to be a disciple. I mean, that's that's part of it. But what it means to be a disciple is to know the living Jesus, Jesus who's alive. So come and pray to him. Come and meet him. Get to know him. Jesus is alive. The second thing you need to know is in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I want you to do something. If you're making doodles, if you've got one of those sheets, or maybe you could just do it in your mind's eye, draw a circle. Okay, draw a circle. That circle is the earth. And then outside of that circle, draw another circle. We'll call that the sky. And then outside that, draw another circle. And we'll call that heavens, as in everything in the spiritual realm. And inside those three circles are everything that's ever been created. You could label them if you want. Earth, sky, you know, where all the birds and everything lives and the planets. And then beyond that, the heavens, the spiritual realm and everything that there is. And what does Jesus say? All authority over all of that, heaven and on earth, has been given to me. So add to your picture a little stick man at the top. You could write that his name is Jesus and then put a crown on his head because he's king over everything, over all of it. That means he's king over me and you. So you could draw yourself maybe on that earth, standing in Wales right now. Jesus is king over you. Over all of your body, over all of your mind, over all of your future and your past and your present, all of your hopes and dreams, Jesus holds those in his hands. Jesus knows when he's going to call you home, when you'll die. Because in his hands, Revelation says, are the keys of death and Hades. It's not Satan that rules over death. It's not illness or cancer or sadness that rules in this world. It's Jesus. Maybe we've got big questions about how that can be, and how can the world be so sad if Jesus is king over it? That's a a big question we might want to deal with in a second, but Jesus says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So trust me, Jesus has authority over everything, even death. You know, doctors can do really clever things. Doctors have a lot of power, a lot of authority over our bodies, don't they, over helping us get, get better. My, one of my older sisters is a, a doctor who looks after babies. She's a paediatrician. And she tells us often incredible stories of babies who are really, really sick, but who come into her hospital. She works in Great Ormond Street in London. Who come into her hospital, the sickest babies in, in the whole of the United Kingdom, and they go out completely fine. Because doctors, doctors are pretty clever. One thing that happens is this. Sometimes, quite rarely, babies are born without any skin around their tummies. So all of their insides, it's a bit of a yucky thing, but think of it. All of their insides, their tummies, their guts, their livers, their kidneys, all of that is kind of on the outside. So when they're delivered, it's a little bit weird. You can imagine that would be kind of scary if you were a mum or dad who has a baby who has no skin on their tummy. You can see all their insides. Do you know what the doctors do? It's really very simple. They put them in an incubator for a few weeks, and they get a little bag, collect up all of their guts and things, and they hang it up over the top. The baby's lying on their back like this. They hang it up over the top of the baby's tummy, and gradually, over the t- over time, gravity pulls down all of those insides into exactly where they should be. And once they've kind of dripped down and all found their right places, a surgeon will come in and he'll gather up the skin around the sides, tie it in a little knot, and they have a belly button. And that babies who are born like that are completely fine. They live happily ever after. They're healthy. Doctors can do really clever things. But even doctors don't have authority over death. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus died. It was like he was tied up, that death had tied him up with all these tight ropes. And then three days later, Jesus was so alive, so burning hot with living that those ropes fell off. Death couldn't hold him anymore. Even the rock that was in front of the tomb couldn't keep him in sight. It blew off. That's what one of the Greek words means, by the way, in, in the Gospels. It didn't just roll aside. I mean, it blew away. And Jesus walked out, tidied up his grave clothes, laid them there for the disciples to see later on, and walked into life, through death and out the other side, never to die again. There's no doctor in the world who can do that. See, Jesus is powerful. He has authority over everything, even death. That's the second thing you know, need to know about Jesus. He's king over me. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. So we should come to Jesus and give ourselves to him. So Jesus is, what have we found so far? He's alive. You can know him today. He's king. So you should come and bow the knee to him today. And the third thing, Jesus is with us. Do you see that at the end? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're somebody who's walking with Jesus, you need to know that that Jesus is walking with you. There's so many beautiful pictures of that in the New Testament, that Jesus is holding us in his own hands, that he has the church wrapped around, that he looks after us and cares for us and teaches us and disciplines us and feeds us like a, a mum feeds her baby, looks after us and teaches us like a dad teaches their, their boys and girls. Jesus is with us. So do you want to know him? Do you want to follow him? Well, you can right now. Are you feeling afraid of anything? Well, Jesus is with you. Maybe not right now, but tonight when you switch the lights off and go to bed and perhaps you're a little afraid of the dark, or perhaps you're, if you're an adult, it's not just the dark you're afraid of, but all of those worries about health, about family, about money, about the future, about who knows what. Well, Jesus is with us and promises to be with us, not just now, not just tomorrow, not just next year, but every year until the end of the age when we'll see him face to face and we'll be with him forever. So you need to know about Jesus, those three things. He's alive, he's the king, and he's here with us right now. So what does it mean then to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it means to worship him. We've talked about that already. If he's the king over everything, even over my body and my whole life, then, of course, we need to worship him, to fall down with our bodies, with our hearts, with our minds, and give everything that we are to Jesus. That's what it means to worship him. That's what they do here, isn't it? The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's a big theme through Matthew. If you've been reading through the Bible in a year um, with me over the last few weeks, you'll have just about finished Matthew. And you might have noticed that worship is a huge theme. It's what the wise men do right at the beginning. Do you remember? They come and ask Herod in the Christmas story, where's the baby Jesus? And eventually they work out he's gonna be in Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem and they visit him. And they, as soon as they see this little baby, they fall down on their faces and they worship him. They've come traveling halfway across the world to visit baby Jesus and to worship him. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you worship me, You come from halfway across the world to come and worship me. Now you get up and go across the world to teach others to worship me. Do you see that? Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach other people to worship me as you worship me. Because who else is there to worship? Who else is the king of kings? Who else is the lord of lords? Who else is the one who has authority over heaven and earth and everything in between? So we worship Jesus, and we teach other people to worship Jesus, but we worship Jesus even in our doubts. Did you see that? They worship Jesus, but some doubted. I imagine that is a pretty good summary of what there is in this room right now, what there was in this room 15 minutes ago when we were singing, when we were lifting up our voices. Some of us were worshiping, and there's not a doubt in our hearts. Some of us were worshiping, and there's lots of doubts in our hearts, and some of us were filled with doubt so that we weren't really worshipping at all. Perhaps we have so many questions we, have, we need answered before we get going with Jesus. Well, you can be encouraged that these disciples doubted as well. These 11 who'd walked with Jesus for three years face to face, they'd seen his amazing miracles. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him quiet storms. They'd seen him raise dead people. They'd seen him feed people out of just a few loaves. Then they'd seen him several times Rise from the dead, and meet them, and have breakfast with them, and talk to them, and they still doubt. They're still just not quite sure if it's all real. So do you know what? It's okay to be a Christian who has big questions. Sometimes we think that doubt is bad or doubt is wrong. I think that's often because we we um, mix it up with skepticism. Okay, there's two different things. We often use them for the same the same idea. But we need to understand what doubt is here in this passage. This is doubt that comes from faith, well, that has its roots in faith, but still has lots of big questions. This is doubt like Thomas. Do you remember doubting Thomas? Who hadn't seen Jesus yet when all the other disciples had. And when they told him the good news, he says, well, well, that's a pretty hard thing to believe. I'd really like some evidence. So Thomas doubts. You see, he, he wants to believe, but he's just got lots and lots of big questions. And Jesus is very kind to him. Jesus turns up at that moment and shows him his hands, shows him his feet, the nail marks in his hands and feet, shows him the hole in his side where they put that spear. Jesus gives him evidence, answers his questions. And do you know what Thomas says? Do you remember? He says, my Lord and my God. He falls down on his face and he worships Jesus because his questions come from faith. You see, he really wants to believe, but there's lots of questions. There's lots of clouds. There's lots of things that are kind of hiding his, his view of Jesus. And when Jesus comes and graciously takes them all away, the Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God. He deals with his doubts. You See, he speaks about them to other people. But there's another kind of doubt, which doesn't have its feet resting on faith, on trust, on wanting Jesus. It has its feet resting on skepticism. This is the kind of doubt that asks questions, but when those questions get answered, just another question comes up, and that one gets answered, and another question, and another question, because that person who's doubting like that doesn't really want to know the truth. What they really want to do is just doubt everything to the point where nothing can really be said to be true, so I can do what I want with my life. That's what that kind of skeptical doubt is. That's doubt that's that's in our culture in our country isn't it people who might say they want to know the truth might say that they're just skeptical and and have a high bar for evidence but really when you meet it and even go beyond it and show them the accounts of jesus and show them in history the good evidence that jesus really did rise from the dead they'll still brush it off and say oh no i've got other questions and other questions and other questions do you see the difference there one is doubting that really doesn't want to believe it's hard-hearted skepticism the other is, I'd really like to, but I've got lots of questions. Or like one man says, if you remember a story in Mark we did last year, one man who comes to Jesus and says, would you please heal my little boy? Could you? If, if you can heal him, could you please heal him? And Jesus says, if I can? And, he's, and the man says to him, oh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but there's lots and lots of questions. There's lots of things I struggle with, so please help me. That's what this doubt is here. So is that you this morning? Have you got lots of doubts? Have you got lots of big questions? Well, what could you do about that? How could you have that kind of fog cleared away? Well, you need to talk to somebody about it. That's in this passage as well. I mean, how do we know that these people doubted? you thought about that? Matthew, who was there, wrote this for us. Maybe it was Matthew himself. Maybe he knew he doubted that he saw Jesus, but he couldn't quite believe it was too good to be true. So maybe he said that he doubted. But it says others did as well. Some of them doubted. So they obviously talked about it, didn't they? They shared their doubts. They didn't hide them. They didn't squash them down. And so that's what we should be like as a church. We should be open about our big questions, honest about our struggles, about the things that we don't understand, the things that we just don't get. Like why could, how could a God who's so big, who's such a great king, allow us to live in a world that's so full of sadness? That's a really big question. Do you have that question? Is that something that keeps you from really giving yourself to Jesus? You know, falling down with all of your life before him and worshipping him and trusting him. Well, don't hide those doubts. Don't press them down. We are not a church that will embarrass you or that will say, don't ask any questions, just believe. That you won't find that from people in this church, or at least I hope you haven't, and I hope you won't. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Sammy. Come and talk to the person who brought you along, to Christian friends that you trust and, and say, these are my doubts. These are my questions. Are there any answers? Because if Jesus is true, if he's the king of kings, then everything, all truth, all knowledge belongs to him and comes from him. So there's no question that he can't answer. There's no question he's embarrassed of. Remember what he did to Thomas. He graciously met him, answered his questions, and welcomed him to worship him. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who worships Jesus, even through doubts, who brings those doubts to other people. And ultimately, he brings those doubts to Jesus and says, in prayer to him, Lord, are you real? Could you help me? Could you answer my questions? Okay, a couple more things about what it means to follow Jesus. One is to worship him. Two is that your life has changed and that you go public with that change. Did you see that? So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means that your life has changed completely. That's what baptism is a picture of, isn't it? That you've died as you go down into the water. And as you come up again, you're a new person. That your family name, if you like, has changed. That you used to belong to darkness, to this world. But now you belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You belong to God. You've been baptized into their name. I know a guy whose name used to be David. I suppose it probably legally is David now. But when he was a youngster, he was a real tearaway, a proper scallywag. Um, Really gave his mum a lot of grief. And then he went to summer camp one, uh, one year with some Christians. And a couple of, of the leaders there really took him under their wing, looked after him, shared the good news of Jesus with him, and he became a Christian that week. They gave him a nickname. The nickname is Dai, so kind of Welsh short form of David. And now he doesn't go by David anymore. I've never heard anybody call him David, except I think maybe his mum did for a little bit afterwards. But he wouldn't let anybody call him David anymore after that camp. His name was Dai, changed it to that. You might have heard of his Dai Die Hankey, runs the Manumit Coffee thing. You might have heard of him. But anyway, he, his life had changed completely. He'd met Jesus. And so he literally changed his name. Well, if you're a Christian, that's happened to you. Jesus' death has counted for you. So you've died. The old you is gone. And Jesus' resurrection counts for you. So you've begun a new life with Jesus, with God the Father as your Father, with the Holy Spirit living in you. That's what a disciple is. Someone whose life has changed, and who goes public about that change as well. Let me give you another story um, from Africa, from students in Africa in a country called Rwanda. I'm not sure if I've used this story before, but let, rem- let me remind you of it anyway. There were, in Rwanda, um, two big tribes in the early 1990s who hated each other. About 1992, 1993, uh, the tribes ended up taking up arms against each other and fighting. And one tribe killed... Hundreds and hundreds of thousands in the space of only a few weeks. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of the other tribes that fighting between the Hutus and the Tutsis. Now, in the student world, in the university, in Kigali in the capital, um, there was a Christian group there made up of Christians from Hutus and Tutsis from those two big tribes. At dinner time, at lunch, um, they would serve each other. In the dining hall, usually the Hutus would stay over one side and the Tutsis would stay over the other. But these Christians, had their hearts changed so much, they loved each other so much, that they would serve each other. First, the Hutus would go up and they would get the main course and serve it to the Tutsi students, and then they'd swap for dessert. The Tutsis would go and get the dessert and bring it back and serve it to the Hutus. They were the only group in the whole of the university who mixed together. One tribe on one side of the hall, one on the other, and the Christians in the middle, standing up, going public, saying, we don't belong to these tribes, really, deep down. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, do you know who they came for first when the violence broke out? It was those Christians. And almost every single one of them was killed. They stood up publicly, dangerously, for kindness to each other, for eating together, for sharing life, because their lives had been changed by Jesus. So what is a Christian? Someone who worships Jesus, even when you're struggling with doubt, Somebody whose life has been changed and goes public with that change. So we're going to have some baptisms here, hopefully around Easter time. I know at least one person who's keen to be baptized. So if you'd like to be baptized, if you haven't kind of made that public confession before, I mean, you know that you're a Christian, that you're walking with Jesus. But if you haven't gone public with that and got baptized, dipped in water and brought out again to show what's happened to you on the inside, well, maybe that's for you. Come and chat to me, chat to Sammy about baptism later. Well, what's the last thing? Jesus says, disciples do. Disciples obey him. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you'll follow me. Jesus taught about a lot of things. He taught about our bodies. He taught about money. He taught about relationships. He taught about what to do with him. In fact, the first thing he taught was this, repent and believe the gospel. Come and trust me. Do you know what that means? I wonder if you've seen The Greatest Showman before. In the film, The Greatest Showman, the final song after the, the main guy um, has, has realized he spent the whole of the film chasing fame, chasing wealth, chasing uh, all of these different experiences and things. And in the end, it all burns down. And after the smoke and cinders have, um, have settled a bit, he realizes that he's been chasing something that doesn't really matter. He realizes that really what matters is the love of his family. And so he sings this song. And the song, I'm not going to sing it to you. One line is like this He says, From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. He's singing with all of the other people in his company and saying, I should have looked after them. I should have loved my family and not gone around chasing all these other things. What was in front of me all the time, the most important thing, I'd missed completely. But from now on, I'm turning my back on that old life, turning my back on all of those other things I'd run after, and I'm going to live for what really matters. From now on, what's waited, what I'd put off and put off and put off and put off, what's waited till tomorrow starts right now. That's what Jesus' teaching begins with. He says, anybody who wants to follow me, you've got to turn around. You've got to leave your old life behind. You've got to stop putting it off and you've got to come and follow me and then follow all the other teachings that I've given you. You need to come and know forgiveness. You need to say sorry for your old life and leave it behind you and come and follow me. And I will begin to put things right. Begin to rearrange your life as you worship me and bow the knee and go public. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means to be somebody who's changed, somebody who goes public with that change, who follows Jesus, who throws ourselves down in worship of Jesus with all of our lives and then who teaches other people to come and do the same. Why don't we pray together before we come and take communion? Lord God, we thank you so much that you've given us the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have given us a Lord who is alive, not just ideas to follow, but Lord, that you walk with us even right now, that you're present with us. Lord, that as we go from here to all of the scary task of passing this on to other people, of following you and being faithful, of teaching others to follow what you have taught us to do. Lord, as we go to go public about our faith and our trust in you, Lord, we need strength for that. We need your presence to go with us. And so we thank you that we have this promise here that you are with us to the very end of the age. Lord, we praise you that you are a living God. We praise you that you are the king of kings. We praise you that you are with us. And we ask now for anybody in the congregation here today who doesn't know you, Lord, who has still got lots of doubts and questions. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you. We pray for those people who don't know you, that perhaps today they would be, um, this would be the first day where they say sorry for their life so far. Lord, help us to be doing that, each one of us, to turn our backs on our old, old life and say what we've been putting off we want to do right now this morning would help us to trust you we pray help us to teach others to trust you help us to have the courage to do uh, what all these different people we've heard have done lord help us to be like thomas who though he was doubted uh, though he was doubting you um, knew it was true in the end and took that gospel even as far as india father we thank you for the god that you are we thank you that you're a living lord we pray that you'd help us to be faithful disciples as we pass on this gospel to other people amen mm-hmm.
0: hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts.